Turn to Revelation chapter 1. We'll begin really an uh, an introduction tonight. I don't know that we'll get through all of this. Uh, As always, I have a lot of notes here, and I'm I'm just going to... I got I got 40 minutes. I got 39 minutes. I'm gonna move fast. I'm gonna I'm gonna go. You've got notes. Everything is not in there, or you would have obviously eight pages of notes. But I will have notes most every week. If you want, maybe you want to get those. Keep them keep them in a notebook, a folder, or something. You can go back and look at them later. But let's let's kind of get started tonight in the way of introduction here with these first three verses. So the revelation. Um, of, the, of, of, of Jesus Christ. Here in verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angels and his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. And so that's where we begin tonight. So this is the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Some books you'll see, some Bibles you'll see at the the beginning there, the introduction, it'll say say the revelation of John or the revelation of St. John. This is not the revelation of St. John. John's not being revealed. Nothing about John's being revealed. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, John is the writer and I say that because we've talked about this enough to know that when we, the scriptures are inspired of God. So God, the Holy Spirit, is the author of this. God is the, the author. Jesus is the author of this. John is the writer. He's the pen of this. So John is named, if you, if you were to look through this, and as we begin, he's named in verse 1, verse 4, verse 9, and then he's named again in chapter 22, verse 8. So we see John, and, and so the book of Revelation was written while John was was exiled on the island of Patmos. And there have been, you know, it's, I, I really don't, didn't have this in the notes, but just in the study, I'm going to bring up things that are going to come to mind. But there are those who question whether John, the Apostle John, was, was, one, was actually the author of this and the writer. And there was even questions about Patmos. And yet they go back and look and there's, there's great evidence that John, the Apostle John, now you know, most other people would have signed a full name or something. People, they knew who John was. So when John wrote John, it was pretty clear who he was. And there's evidence, there's strong evidence that John was exiled on Patmos around the time this book was written. So there's strong, strong evidence to this. But I, but I want you all to understand, when you, when, as you study, you're going to read criticisms of different things. Be careful what you read. And don't just take anything that's said as, as well, that, this person said that. You need to look at who the person is that said that. And what maybe what's their agenda. But for the first 150, 200 years after this book was written, there was no question as to who the author was, that it was John. And it's the same John who wrote the Gospel John in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So, you know, he's an author of five books in the, in the Old Testament. And uh, it's the same John who leaned his head on the chest of the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, into whose hands he gave the, the care of his mother at the crucifixion. It's that John. That is the author, uh, the, 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 the writer, not really the author. He's the writer of this book. Now, the word revelation, as we start this, when we're talking about revelation, so revelation means unveiling. So kind of like it, it, it's, it's as simple as it sounds. If I had a trophy up here and, 
or, or something up here, sculpture up here, and I had it covered up and made a big hoopla about we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna reveal this to you. We may have what they would call, and we still would say this today, an unveiling. And you remove the veil. And that's what the revelation, what revelation means. It's unveiling. So the revelation is an unveiling of Jesus Christ and the divine mysteries leading to that unveiling. Now, you can sum up the book real quick. We're going to have the rapture early in the book. The church is gone. And the rest of that is the events that are going to take place over seven years well, not all of it. I mean, we're going to see real quickly the seven years and when then we have the Lord's return and we have the millennium and things that come after that time. But you're going to have a seven year period that's going to be just like clockwork and it's going to move fast. Think back seven years. Seven years, I just moved from Indiana. feels like some days it feels like 20 years. Some days it feels like we just got here. But, I mean, it's just over seven years ago we moved. So that's quick. A lot has happened in seven years of our time here. And that's kind of what we'll see, we're going to see in this book. Um, so it's this unveiling. So God the Father gave the message to Jesus. Jesus gave the message to an angel. An angel came and gave the message to John. And then John writes the book. He pens the book for us. That's the... That's the order of how this was revealed. That's how this is being unveiled. So the message was given to John by an angel. Now, Halley's, uh, Halley's handbook, he, he speaks in there about angels play a large part in directing the panorama and scenery of the visions and the writings of this book. And um, how many of you, let me ask you as we start, how many of you have read through Revelation? Probably most of you have read through it. How many of you have read through it multiple times? A few less hands. How many of you have done in-depth study in the Revelation? Okay. So, all right, there's, there's a fair amount of you. That's, that's good. And some of you, this is going to be new. Some of you, it's going to be digging in a little deeper. But if you, as you read through it, you'll notice there's angels and angels and angels and angels. Angels play a huge part in what's going on in this. And so I'm going to read what some of the stuff he talked about. So uh, I'm, I'm going to read this quickly, but there's a lot here. or I would have put this in your notes. Um, an angel dictated the book to John. Each of the seven churches had an angel. An angel was, uh, was uh, interested in the sealed book in chapter 5. 100 million angels sang praise to the Lamb, 511. Angels, uh, four angels were given power to hurt the earth in chapter 7. The angel, an angel sealed the elect in, elect in chapter 7. The angels fell down on their faces before God, 711. An angel was used in answering prayers of the saints, chapter 8. Uh, seven angels sounded the seven trumpets, chapter 8, verse 6. An angel of the abyss was king of the locust army, 911. Uh, four angels loosed 200 million uh, um, Euphratian horsemen in chapters, uh, chapter 9, verse 15 and 16. An angel had the open book announced the end in chapter 10. Michael and his angels warred with the dragon and his angels in chapter 12. A flying angel proclaimed the gospel to the nations, 14.6. Another, uh, uh, another flying angel proclaimed the fall of Babylon, 14.8. An angel pronounced doom of the beast followers, chapter 14, 9 through 10. An angel announced the harvest of the earth, 14, 15. An angel announced the vintage of the earth, 14, 18. Seven angels had the seven uh, last plagues, 15, 1. An angel announced judgment on Babylon, 17, 1 and 5. Uh, an angel gained, uh, again announced the fall of Babylon, 18, 2. 
an angel had part in uh, 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 dealing Babylon its death blow, 1821. An angel presided over the destruction of the beast, 1917. An angel bound Satan, 20 verse 12. An angel showed John the New Jerusalem, 21.9. Twelve angels guarded the twelve gates of the New Jerusalem, 21.19. And an angel forbade John to worship him. In 22 verse 9. So we see angels in here all through this as we read this. You're going to see angels are heavily involved. And uh, I don't want to get them ahead of myself, but, 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 but you're going to see as, as God proclaims it, it's done on earth. And the angels are working out a lot of that and proclaiming a lot of that and opening up a lot of that. So that, that's kind of as we, as we get started, you're going to, that's something to note is we're going to see a lot of angels uh, throughout this book. Um, some people outline, you see there's an outline there in your notes. There's the introduction here in chapter 1. Then we, we, will, we will study those seven churches. We'll probably do a church or two a night for a few weeks as we look at the, the, those seven churches in chapters 2 and 3. And then you have the seven seals in chapters 4 through 7. Then you have the seven trumpets, chapters 8 through 11. You have the seven dooms, chapters 17 through 20. And then you have the conclusion there in chapter 21 and 22. And as I said, it's going to move fast. I've been reading through this and reading through this, and it's just amazing to me how fast things move once it starts. It's just, it, it's, it, it, it's like a movie. That's one of those movies, you know, when it starts, and it's action from the start. It's all the way through it. And I thought, what an interesting movie this would make if, if they could capture, really capture... And I was thinking today, and John is standing, he's standing on the beach. He's standing in the sand. He's looking out at the water, and he sees the, 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 the angel that has a foot on the ocean and a foot on the land. And I thought some of this would be, cinematography of this could be incredible in, in a movie. The only problem is they don't know how to, they wouldn't know what to, they don't know how to do it. They don't know what to, what, what does that mean? What do, how do I do that? So they don't know. Um, John Phillips explains some of this. He gives us some insight into the book. Here's one of the things that people find very confusing. They read this and they go, well, it sounds like, it sounds like there, there's, you know, it sounds like we're saying the same thing over and over again. And in, in a sense, there is, because here's what's going on. Um, the scenes in Revelation alternate between heaven and earth. So it's, again, it's like a movie. And you see a movie that you'll be in the present time, and then you'll, it'll flash back to here, or it'll be something going on, and it'll say three weeks earlier, or three weeks later, or whatever. So it's setting the time. And that's really what you have all throughout this book. So chapter 1 is set in heaven, where chapters 2 and 3 are set on earth. Um, and, and it goes back and forth. So the book begins in heaven. I think this is in your notes there, right? Is that correct? I think I put this in there. So the book begins in heaven and it ends in heaven. And the scenes alternate as following. So you have in heaven, there's the, the blessing from God, uh, chapter 1. Then on earth, you see, God, uh, you see John imprisoned, 1-9. In heaven, you see the glory of Christ, verses uh, 10 through 20. And then in heaven uh, or on earth, you got the letters to the churches, and then we go back into heaven and you see the lamb and the throne in chapter 4. And then on earth, you come back and you got the seals broken, chapter 6. And then you go back to heaven, you see the 144,000 and then there's silence. And that's uh, chapter uh, 7, verse 1 through 8, 6. And then you go down to earth and you got the trumpet judgments in chapter 8 and 9. Then you go back into heaven, you see the little book. And then you go back to earth and there's the two witnesses. We go to heaven. We got worship in heaven. And then we go back on earth and you see Israel persecuted by the beast. And then you go back to heaven. You got the 144,000 in glory and angelic activity. 
And then back on earth, you got the seven vials and the two Babylons. Then you go back to heaven, the marriage of the lamb and uh, its consequences. And then on earth, the final judgment. And then you go back to heaven, the, the last judgment and the celestial city. So it's, a, again, as you understand, if you understand how the book is broken down and how it's laid out, it helps you as you begin to study and to read through it. Now, we're going to go through this. This is going to be quite a while. I would challenge you, and I hope, and I've challenged several people. I've been encouraged this year. People have come up and said, hey, I'm reading through the Bible this year. Dave, Dave Stewart's reading through it, and he was talking to me about Leviticus. Whew. Yeah, I've been in Leviticus too, Dave, and it's like I have to mix it up with something else because it, it makes your eyes cross. It's, I mean, just so, so much of the stuff in there. But I encourage you to have a plan to read through all of the scriptures. But if you're going to be in here in this study for the next several months in Revelation, you ought to maybe be reading through Revelation. And, and maybe we're in chapter, we're going to be in chapter one, um, one, two, and three for the next several weeks. You know, maybe read the first two or three chapters. Read them every day. If you read through it every day, because what begins to happen then is, is you begin to pick up on the flow of it. And then you start putting things together. If you only read it one time, you're, you may remember a little bit of this or a little bit of that. But it's when you begin to read it over and over again. We've done a, a Bible study that Gene and I were involved with. My, my friend uh, Aaron Reynolds does this. And we did it here for a while. Search the scriptures. And... Um, the idea of it is you take a passage and you read through that passage for a month. You read the same passage every day for a month. And then you begin to answer questions about it. And what's amazing is you get about a week into reading something and you start seeing things you didn't see before. Now, I don't mean you start having some hallucinations and stuff. It's not that. Uh, it's, it's not that. But it, it's go, you, you read it and then all of a sudden you go, whoa, wait a minute. I didn't notice that before. Because I will go to something we're already familiar with and our mind's locked in on that. And the more you read it, the more you read it, then you'll hit something and you'll go, oh, wait, wait, wait. Now, that says that over here in verse 1, but it seems like I saw that over in chapter 5. There was something, and you start to see things and put things together. So I encourage you to do that, to read, to read, uh, to read through this and really familiarize yourself with the scriptures that we're going to be studying. So... Going back to this now, the reason for the, the alternating scenes is clear. In this last book of the Bible, we have, to, we have the full and final answer to the Lord's Prayer. And in the Lord's Prayer, it says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the fulfillment of that prayer. This is the answer to that prayer. Because in this book, we see God's will being declared... In heaven, I think that's in your notes, it's being declared in heaven. Then we see his will being done on earth. So what he declares in heaven, then they execute and then we'll see it on earth. And that's why when you read this, you go, wait a minute, I, didn't, we just, didn't that just happen? Yeah, you saw it here, you're being declared. Now you're going to see it here being, being done, it's being executed. So the book of Revelation shows that no power in heaven, earth, or hell can frustrate the fulfillment of that plan, of God's plan. So God's kingdom will come whether men like it or not. You know, Satan has been trying... From the garden, he's been trying to, to thwart, is that the word? Thwart God's plan. He, he, has, he has done all he can to try to, 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 to destroy God's chosen people. He's tried to destroy the, 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 the avenue through which the Messiah would come. He tried to destroy the Messiah. And then he thought he had won the victory when, he, when oh, Jesus is dead. He's in the tomb. I have won. And nope, nope. You didn't win. That wasn't your plan. That was God's plan. That wasn't your plan. You didn't win anything. And so he continues to, and we're even going to see in this book where Satan is still trying to somehow stop what's coming on him. 
He knows what's coming, and he's trying to prevent that, and he will not. He will not prohibit God's will being done. So the theme of this book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what this is. So everything in the book of Revelation looks forward to that marvelous time when Christ shall come with clouds revealed visibly to every human being on the earth. Now, unlike the rapture, I, shared, I think I shared this last week, when the rapture comes, if you're, if you're not a believer, you're not going to understand what's happened because you're not going to see Jesus. You're not going to hear the trumpet. You're not going to hear any of that. Just all of a sudden, millions upon millions of people have vanished. Just boom, we're gone. I think we're going to leave our clothes, everything. Pilots and airplanes are going to be gone. Uh, you know, cars are going to crash. It's going to be, you go, it's going to be, imagine the chaos of that right there. I mean, you, you, imagine New York City at 9-11. If you were there and you've seen the pictures and we can only imagine because we weren't there, the chaos and the terror of that. Now imagine this worldwide. People have vanished. Planes are crashing. Uh, there's a train on the tracks. There's no, the, the engineer's gone. Who's going, how are they going to turn it? You know, they're trying to, it's just all these crazy things that are coming up because God's children are gone. They're gone. We're gone. We're out of here. And the world's not going to understand what has happened. But when he comes back, his second coming, the whole world will see. Every eye will see him. And it will be an amazing thing. Dr. H.A. Ironside says, talking about how Revelation completes the circle started in Genesis. Um, I didn't put that in your notes, did I? That's not in there. Y'all see H.A. Ironside? I had to cut a lot out, and these are some of the longer things, but I wanted to read these. I just found these to be very interesting. So Ironside is talking about, um, with Revelation, it's a completion of the circle that started in Genesis. And so I want to read this to you. So the Word of God is one perfect, is, is one absolutely perfect, unbroken, and unbreakable circle. A comparison of Genesis and Revelation will readily make this plain and see how we have the types in Genesis and, and the completion of the truth in Revelation. In one book, the beginning, in the other, the consummation. Genesis gives us the creation of the heavens and the earth. Revelation presents a new heaven and new earth. Genesis shows us the earthly paradise with the tree of life and the river of blessing lost through sin. Revelation gives us the paradise of God with the tree of life and the pure river of water of life proceeding out of the throne of God and the lamb uh, paradise regained through Christ's atonement. In Genesis, we see the first man and his wife set over all God's creation. In Revelation, we behold the second man and his bride ruling over a redeemed world. In Genesis, we are told of the first typical sacrificial lamb. In Revelation, the lamb once slayed is in the midst of the throne. In Genesis, we learn of the beginning of sin when the serpent first entered the garden of delight uh, to beguile Adam and Eve with his uh, uh, sophistries. In Revelation, that old serpent called the devil and Satan is cast into the lake of fire. In Genesis, we have the first murder, the first polygamist, the first rebel, the first drunkard, etc. In Revelation, all such who refuse to accept God's grace in Christ Jesus are banished from his presence forever. In Genesis, we view the rise of Babel and Babylon. In Revelation, we are called to contemplate its doom. In Genesis, we see man's city. The, in Revelation, 
the city of God. Genesis shows us how sorrow, death, pain, and tears, the inevitable accomplishments of sin and rebellion came into the world. Revelation does not close until we see uh, we, w- until we have seen God wiping away all tears and welcoming his redeemed into a home where sin, death, pain, and sorrow never come. Great, great. I, you know, as I was studying, it's the first time I've ever seen that. The comparison between Revelation, it is a full circle. And the things that, you know, the, the, the destruction that came with the fall, everything God is making right. Everything will be made right. I don't know if it's what's going on tonight. I can't hardly read my notes tonight. I'm going to have to go to a bigger font. I don't want to have to wear my glasses the whole time. i got a 14 already. That ought to be big enough, but struggling tonight. I need some brighter light. So uh, verse 1, as we get there to verse 1, we see the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him. Now, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Which God gave him. And if you're in your, if, if in your translation there, it should be capital H because it's speaking of Christ. God gave this to him, gave this to Christ. This is the revelation of Jesus. And we're going to talk about this. So remember in Mark 13, 32, verse says, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. So we understand that. When, when Christ was on earth, he didn't know everything wasn't revealed to him. Remember, he laid those things aside. So we understand that when Jesus became man, he laid aside some of the outward garments and manifestations of his deity. So the, the fact... Let me just let me just read so I don't I don't get ahead of myself here. Um, he was fully God on earth, but he had humbled himself and taken on himself the form of a servant. So he gave up some of the things that he had a right to as God. So understand, Jesus in the body of Christ was not omnipotent. He wasn't omnipresent. He wasn't omniscient. He gave up those things when he came and became a man. Now, when he became man, and this is something so many people struggle with, he didn't become half man, some freakish half man, half God. He wasn't the the movie Thor and Thor coming down to earth looking like a man. He was God, but he fully took on the form of a man. And so if, 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 If he was omnipotent and omnipresent, I mean, he didn't as a man, he didn't go from Galilee to Jerusalem and, you know, flash over there and then have tell the disciples, hey, I'll see you when y'all get there. But I'm I'm taking the Jesus train and, and boom. No, he didn't do that. He laid aside those things. So you got to understand Jesus, and as you read through the Gospels, that's another one I challenge you to read through the Gospels. Just read through them because you begin to pick up those things and you see there where Jesus again and again and again and again and again, what does he say? I do what God tells me to do. And he knows what God reveals to him. And we see it again and again and again. We see it as a child in Luke 2.52. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. He was fully man. He was fully God. So he laid aside those rights and those things he had as God. So when it says here, he did not know, he did not know as a man the day that he would come back. 
The Father had not yet revealed that to him. So, do we gather from this that while living on earth, Christ did not know the time of the second coming? Yes, that's what we gather from that. He did not know the time, and the Scriptures tell us that. Did he, uh, did he then have those details revealed to him by the Father following the resurrection? Again, I would say the answer to that is yes. After the resurrection, he knew all that he had known before he became man, and he knows all that the Father knows. So as Jesus is there now, he knows the plan. Everything the Father knows, he knows. God has revealed that to him. Jesus isn't sitting up there as God now, sitting at the right hand of the Father, not knowing what to do, not knowing what's going on. He knows. It has been revealed to him. So this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him. It says here, the Father has given it to Jesus, given him this revelation. And uh, now he, turn in turn, gave it to an angel who gave it to John who has written it and given it to us. So this revelation is of things which must shortly take place. Now, the book of Revelation is primarily a future event prefaced by letters to seven churches. And the book of Revelation is not symbolic and allegorical uh, or some symbolic and allegorical presentation of the times in which it was written, but a revelation of the future. There are those who will tell you that it's all symbolic. And it's, and it's allegorical of things that have already happened, that John was writing about his day. There are so many different interpretations. But the scriptures are, they're accurate. They're, they tell us what is going to happen and its future. So prophecy is nothing more, listen, prophecy is nothing more than history foretold. And, and how would I explain that? So the things in prophecy... Uh, they, the things that we read in prophecy will certainly happen. Amen. They will happen. They just haven't happened yet. But uh, they will absolutely occur. And the events of Revelation are as certain to transpire as the events that occurred yesterday. It is as certain to be history. They just haven't happened yet. So it really, when you talk about prophecy, I look at it, it's just future history. Because it will happen, and it will happen just as God said. So it's just unclear to us because it hasn't happened, and there's some things that we can't figure out quite yet. Not all of it there is, what is that? We're not sure exactly what, so there's some things that we're going to speculate on a lot of things but what we know is the events that are revealed in Revelation are events that absolutely will happen. In the mind of God, they've already happened. Okay? I've tried to explain this before. Time. Okay? We think about, um, you know, infinity is not time. Right? I mean, when you start talking about infinity, you're outside of time. When we talk about spending eternity with God, that's outside of time. Time is, if God is over everything, right? He's over everything. And God says he's, you know, he's the same yesterday, today, tomorrow. He was, he's the God of the living. He's not the God of the dead. He, he, he is, he's the God of Abraham. And he didn't say he was the God of Abraham. 
Abraham's dead. So he, if Abraham's not alive, then he's not. So time, time doesn't, God, God's not constrained by time because he's above his creation, right? So let's just say this is creation. This is all of creation. God's above that. And time is a construct of his creation. So he's above that. God already knows everything that's written. It's going to happen, folks. The two witnesses, when we read of the two witnesses, they absolutely will be there. They absolutely will preach for three and a half years. They absolutely will be killed by the beast. And then they absolutely are going to draw breath again. God's going to raise them up after three and a half days. He's going to raise them up. And then they're going, to be res- they're going to be resurrected and they're going to rise up in a cloud like Jesus did uh, on a cloud. They're going to go up and they're going to see it and they're going to be terrified. That hasn't happened yet. But we don't have to read that and go, man, I wonder if that's going to happen. No, it's going to happen. That's the, the beauty of this. So as we read this, understand we're not reading some fantasy. We're reading the things that are going to take place. This is... Future history. So this book is about the revelation of Jesus Christ, uh, particularly about the second coming and events that surround that event. Verse 7 says, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him. That is going to happen. He is going to come back with clouds. He's going to come back like he left. And everybody's going to see him. Everybody's going to see. Every eye will see. So the things... So the verse says now, the, the things which must shortly take place. The Greek word there for shortly is tacos, not, not tacos. Tacos, tacos, T-A-C-H-O-S. All of a sudden I got hungry. But the word, the Greek word is tacos, and it means quickly or speedily, quickly or speedily. And it does not mean immediately, and it does not mean soon. Now, it could mean, it could have meant immediately, it could have meant soon. But that's not the idea of what the word says. These things which must shortly take place. The idea here of this quickly, of speedily, and, and, and we'll talk more about this, but it's once these things start, what, what, let, me, let me go back to this. The reference here, this refers to the imminence of Christ coming, not that his return is immediate. If it were immediate, he may have come back in Paul's lifetime. Or he may have come back in, in 2 AD or 15 AD or, or 1978. It, 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 it could have been at any time in history. It was not an immediate, but it is imminent. And y'all know, the, y'all know the difference there. Imminent means at this point, there is nothing. There is nothing that, that is, is hindering the Lord's return. The rapture can happen at any moment. It is imminent. There is nothing else that has to happen before the rapture. So it is imminent. But it does not mean, even for us today, that is immediate. John, uh, Mark 13, 32 through 37 says, But of the day and, and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his home or his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work. 
and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know, not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, uh, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he finds you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. So we are to watch regularly and pray expectantly, knowing that Christ Jesus may come at any time. He may come at any moment. Um, you know, the, the scriptures that we're going to read right there and the, the, the other scriptures we read do not tell us to be on the lookout for the Antichrist. Doesn't tell us to look for the Antichrist. Doesn't tell us to watch for the tribulation events. It tells us to watch for Christ. That is the next event in this timeline. That is that when the Lord returns for us and he blows that horn and he gives a shout, we're going. We're going. And uh, praise God, that's going to be awesome. But we're not going to be here for those other things. We're not looking for those things. We're looking for the Lord. Folks, don't get careless in this. We as believers, we have this idea. And you know what? Even the scoffers in the days when the scriptures were being writing said, oh, you speak of the Lord's return and his coming back and nothing's changed since then. You know, we, 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 there are Christians who take the same mentality. We may not say it, but we live our lives as though, you know, I'm 53, almost 54. We, we live our lives like, you know, I'm gonna, if I stay healthy, I'm going to live 79, 88, whatever. I got 20 more years. I, I, as Larry Davis learned yesterday, you may not have 20 more minutes. You know, the friend I, I spoke about Sunday Two weeks ago, Sunday, he got a fever. 66 years old, perfectly healthy man. Really healthy, great shape. 66, vibrant, active, all that. Had a fever on Sunday. Monday went and got a COVID test. He thought it might be COVID. It was negative COVID. Went Tuesday, stayed home. He still wasn't feeling good, had a little fever. Wednesday, went back to the doctor. They did another test, still negative for COVID. The doctor said, well, you've got some kind of virus We'll put you on these antibiotics. Gave him antibiotics, sent him home. Thursday, he was getting lethargic. And this second hand, so I'm, 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 it may not be totally accurate, but by Thursday, he was lethargic. And he was slower to respond and slower to speak, and that just wasn't him. So I guess it was on Thursday they took him to the hospital. He spiraled. And apparently he got a, either a virus or bacteria in his heart. They said it, was, it got in a valve. And I, didn't, I, I don't understand that, but it was actually, his heart was actually spitting out clots, bacteria clots or, or virus clots. And he ended up with, um, he ended up with um, a stroke. He ended up with a heart attack. And then he had a brain bleed. And, uh, and then his organs were failing and he just began to spiral. So in seven, eight, nine, ten days, went from perfectly healthy to we were having his funeral Sunday. And there was nothing that would have indicated that. Was, you'd look at him, you go, there's... So folks, don't, don't, don't get caught up in this, you know, we've got all this time. There is no promise that we have time. If you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, don't assume, well, it's, you know, I'll, I'll take care of that later. You need to take care of that today. And if you're, as a believer, if you're not walking with the Lord the way you know you should, don't put that off. 
Well, preacher, you just, I'm telling you this because I love you. I say this to myself. We can't walk carelessly in this life. We must walk through this circumspectly and we've got to keep our eyes up and looking for him and know that his return is imminent. It can happen at any moment. Now, we're going to we're going to I'm not going to finish because but um, I've only got another page or so, but I'm out of time. And we'll, we'll start there and pick up in verse four for next week. But um, Paul, Paul thought. I think you can read from Scripture, and unless he was just using language to include us, and we are included in there, Paul's writing would indicate to us that Paul was looking for the Lord's return in his lifetime. He didn't, he, he couldn't see, he didn't know the things. We, we don't know. I don't know. The Lord, it may be another hundred years. It may not be. But I'm telling you, I am more and more convinced. Randy Dixon that we're going to see the Lord's return. I, I, I believe we're, I, I'm, I'm, we're in the end times. We're in the last days. Now, whether we're going to see the rapture or not, I don't know. I, I think we will. I think we will. But I don't want to take the chance of, eh. I don't want to live like, eh. Eh. Because the, the instant he comes back, the regret the regret of me as a believer for not walking with the Lord the way I should, the regret if, if listen, you're sitting in here tonight, you don't know the Lord, and the rapture comes, you're going to know what happened. And you're going to be filled with a regret that will... Now, I've said this in here before, and I'm going to say it now, and I'll, I'll try to explain this later, because i had two minutes. I ain't giving up my time. Um, I believe that 2 Thessalonians teaches that for those who have heard and rejected the gospel, they cannot be saved after the rapture. What's that? It's when the believers, when the Lord calls the believers home, when He takes us out of here. And after that point, from the rapture on, if, if you've heard the gospel and you've rejected, Scripture says you cannot be saved. 